few months ago, I was talking with a friend of mine who is a Jewish rabbi, and he asked for my prayers for his congregation. He told me, with increased anger and dissension in our country and Christian nationalism again on the rise, we are seeing more threats to the Jewish community than we've seen in decades. We need active support and prayers. I was surprised to hear this. I should not have been surprised, but I was. I know that anti-Semitism never disappeared, really, but I had not been aware that it was back and in such full force, such that our Jewish friends and coworkers were again fearful to attend worship, to gather together in their religious communities. I've been holding my rabbi friend and other Jewish friends and congregations in my prayers since that conversation, and I hope you'll join me in this as well. The hatred that has been simmering under the surface of our great country and bubbling up through the cracks more and more recently continues to bubble in violent and surprising ways. I was reminded of this conversation when I read this week's selection from our gospel according to Matthew. My dear friends, there is so much in the way we have traditionally read and interpreted our scripture that upholds anti-Semitism, whether we intend it or not. And it's long past time for us as thoughtful, loving Christians to do better by our siblings of other faiths. As people trained to be respectful of all cultures, especially one to which we are so deeply tied as Judaism, our antenna should stand up whenever we hear stories about the Pharisees. Our trusty Oxford English Dictionary tells us that a Pharisee was a member of an ancient Jewish sect distinguished by strict observance of the traditional and written law. It also says that in current common usage, a Pharisee is a self-righteous person, a hypocrite. And here the problem begins. We know that Pharisees were the elite religious officials, well-educated, deeply faithful to their traditions, and yet we also use their name to denote someone we find unpleasant. Language matters. And in this case, if we are not careful about the way we interpret our scriptures, we too can be complicit in this very anti-Semitism that we claim to deplore. About today's readings, the Dean of Berkeley Divinity School at Yale, Andrew McGowan, who will be preaching for us later in the year, he puts it like this, I quote, the Pharisees who make the complaint about Jesus eating with tax collectors are not representatives of nasty nitpicking. This assumption comes from the layer of anti-Judaic thought we seem so often to bring to these stories. But instead, of generally appropriate standards of moral and social practice. 
McGowan continues, the Pharisees were serious about religion and politics. And like so many today, they tended to assume that dissociation from those tainted with injustice was obvious and necessary. That is to say, the Pharisees believed that practitioners of Judaism should be held to a high moral standard. And Jesus, by eating with the greedy, traitorous tax collectors, was not upholding that standard. They were not self-righteous or hypocritical. They were literally practicing what they preached, that everyone should be morally upright and stay away from those who are not. That Jesus believed differently is what, is, is what much of our faith was founded on. But the founding of our faith does not by necessity undercut the beliefs and the particular moral compass of the Pharisees. Jesus's problem with the Pharisees was not that they were self-righteous or hypocritical. The problem was that he believed that even the corrupt tax collectors were not beyond redemption, and it was his job to redeem them. And this was different from the Pharisees' understanding of a faithful life. We must be careful about the way we understand and retell these seminal stories of our faith. This conscious eye, conscientious eye to our interpretation of our scriptures extends well beyond this week. It goes throughout the year of reading Christian scriptures. You'll notice it that in the last couple of years, especially around Holy Week, your clergy are more careful about the way that we talk about the crucified Jesus. For centuries, anti-Jewish sentiment has been fueled by the translation of the early Greek word, aiudaoi. For example, we hear in John that the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the aiudaoi. That word, aiudaoi, has traditionally been translated as Jews, suggesting that the Jewish people then and maybe now were something dangerous, something to be feared, a notion that clings to the bones of our theology, though we have tried to scrape it free. More recently, biblical scholars believe that a more proper translation for that word is Judeans, that is, people from the region of Judea in the south, where the capital city Jerusalem, the temple, the headquarters of the Roman governor are. So everywhere we see our scripture translated as the Jews, as a people persecuting Jesus for healing on the Sabbath, for touching an unclean person, we can faithfully and accurately change it to the Judeans, or more appropriately even the Judean authorities who saw Jesus as a challenge to their power structure and nobody likes a challenge to the power structure. Jesus was Jewish. He liked being a Jew. 
He did not lock doors or avoid certain towns because he was afraid of his own people. Now, somewhere in this congregation this morning, someone is thinking along the lines of this political correctness mess has gone too far. Now she's telling me I can't even read my Bible without worrying about offending someone. And the truth is, yeah, that's awfully close to what I'm saying. But more thoughtfully put, I am suggesting that as a Christian, as a follower of the Christ who welcomes and heals and loves, it should be in our nature and in our desire to always want to learn more, to know more, so that we can be more loving and more open-hearted. That is as true about our Holy Bible as it is about our culture and our society. My friends, the fastest way to become hardened and irrelevant is to eschew curiosity. So if you are inclined to read the Bible with a closed heart, incurious about the words set before you, what they mean, and how they continue to live and grow and move throughout the ages, then yes, you are going to have a hard time reading Holy Scripture without offending someone. And that is your choice to make. My colleagues here at Christ Church and I, with the support of current biblical scholarship, are going to choose curiosity. And we're going to choose the love of living scripture by which God continues to reveal God's self. And we hope you'll join us in this. Because by these means, we are also choosing to support our Jewish friends and neighbors by doing what we can to reset our Christian narrative away from anti-Semitic language. We know, don't we, that hate needs no more fuel to burn hot these days. And so let us instead choose to stoke the fires of love with our curiosity, with our capacity for growth and for our open and loving hearts. Amen. Amen.